Putin, he ain't playing. He said he had to do it because he thought that Ukraine was uh, going to acquire WMDs. Pathetic. What, what kind of superpower makes up like that? Ain't that the truth? Ain't it the truth? That's why. I got the feeling that something right. Not at all. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites except for Spotify. Blanketing the globe. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today as we continue to fight like hell for democracy and peace as we have for nearly 20 years now. Welcome to the Bradcast. Glad to have you here. Fighting for peace is becoming increasingly difficult, surprisingly. Oh, add it to the list, Desi Doyen. Uh, speaking of the list uh, of, of things that are increasingly difficult, we'll get to you in just one moment, so stand <laughs> yeah, by. Yeah, I know. Uh, for those wondering, by the way, and, and thank you very much for the concern, my periodontal adventures on Friday went very well. They went as well as they could, uh, as could be expected. The pain is largely gone, so I'll, I will be able to flap my jaws uh, for the entire next hour, more than you may like today. My thanks to Nicole Sandler, as usual, for filling in for us on Friday. And if you missed her detailed interview with independent investigative journalist Marcy Wheeler on the broadcast on Friday on a bunch of stuff, uh, including special counsel John Durham's pathetic attempt to pretend that Hillary Clinton was somehow uh, behind a massive spying scandal to take down Donald Trump, uh, or or Marcy's further explanations on why she strongly believes that Attorney General Merrick Garland is taking the proper steps to bring accountability to both Trump and those around him. Well, you can, of course, download Friday's show for free, as always, from bradblog.com. You are welcome. Today... Unfortunately, we are back to the horrific disaster continuing to unfold in Ukraine following Russia's appalling attack on the nation last week. And where all of it brings us today, 
as I strongly condemn what is unfolding, even with various failures and unhelpful provocations over the years by U.S. and NATO, We'll get to all of that shortly and open the phones to hear from you about it, about who you feel is to blame and what the U.S. at least should do now. Not to mention NATO, not to mention EU, not to mention Russia. Uh, that with uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin making repeated references now to his potential use of nuclear weapons. We'll open the phones in a little bit at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK if you want to write it down. Very quickly, though, there are two critical climate-related pieces of news that are happening today that somehow we are going to shoehorn in today uh, because they're getting buried beneath all of the war coverage in uh, in uh, uh, Ukraine. So very quickly, Desi Doyen, uh, two stories of note on Monday, a new climate report from the U.N.'s Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and a bizarre and frankly disturbing oral argument at the U U.S. Supreme Court today. Let's start with the IPCC report, if you can summarize that for us as, <laughs> as quickly as possible. I will do my best. I mean, it's an almost 4,000-page report, so I didn't have time so to read quick, all of it So be quick. 30 seconds. You can have 30 seconds. <laughs> so, let's, so this is the world's top scientists. They volunteer yeah. their time on the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and these assessments that they put out every six years or so in various phases, they detail the latest global consensus on climate science. And what's interesting is that Putin's war on Ukraine actually ties into the report. One of their mm. worst case scenarios that they analyze for future warming yep. is a world where global collaboration is nearly impossible mm. because, quote, a resurgent nationalism, concerns about competitiveness and security, and regional conflicts make it impossible. Mm. So the report is titled Climate Change 2022. This one works on impacts adaptation and vulnerability. It connects the global warming effects that we're already seeing, like, you know, heat waves and floods and record, I mean, record heat waves and droughts, yeah. uh, degraded ecosystems, species extinction, and it connects them to their impacts on society. Uh, the IPCC, scientists have determined that some of these impacts are already irreversible. They're mm. already baked in. But if yeah. we act, we can do more to reduce the severity of future, even more catastrophic impacts. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the IPCC is more focusing these days, or at least moving uh, to focus more on adaptation at this point, where they had been warning for years. Now they're like, well, this stuff, we, we tried to warn you. But now a lot of this is baked in the cake. What are we going to have to do to adapt to yeah. a climate change future? And really, future? it's both. We have to cut emissions as rapidly as possible in order to prevent, again, even more catastrophic impacts than we're already seeing, some that we're not even sure what they might look like and what they might do to human civilization. But we also have to deal with adaptation. So they found that warming beyond 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels is likely to have irreversible consequences, such as species extinction. You can't come back from extinction, it turns out. Um, they say that that is where we are headed and that we are running out of time to cut our emissions and to make the kinds of investments in adaptation and infrastructure resilience that will help us uh, deal with what's coming. And uh, it's it's pretty grim. I mean, they, they say the impacts are about to get much worse. Yeah. This is what AP said. They said, quote, it is likely going to make the world sicker, hungrier, 
poorer, gloomier, and way more dangerous over the next 18 years, that's by 2040, with unavoidable increases in risks. Um, they warned that climate change is already here and that governments are really run, un, running out of time and moving too slowly to make the kinds of investments in building adaptive capacity into critical systems to be ready for these destructive impacts that are going to get even worse between now and 2040 and even worse beyond that. Luckily, all of this is a 4,000-page hoax, apparently, <laughs> that they've gone through year after year after year to put out these reports, to put out these warnings, all completely just a hoax, apparently. According to some people, the very same people who are sta you know, standing by and, and watching this uh, climate catastrophe, this climate collapse around us, uh, many of them still saying, well, it's 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 either it's a hoax or, hey, yeah, well, I guess it's happening after all. Too bad. There's nothing we can do about it other than to get ready to live in a climate changed future. So. And, and that is frankly nuts because I don't think they have grasped the severity of what living in a climate changed world actually means no. for society. I mean, they're talking, you know, hey, listen, once we get beyond two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, we're talking about civilization collapse. Or they might think, you know what, I'm not going to be around. So it doesn't matter. That is certainly that must be what's going through the head of the U.S. Supreme Court today. Uh, I, I, they heard oral arguments uh, on Monday morning in West Virginia versus EPA, uh, where uh, red states like West Virginia and coal companies are asking the court to dramatically limit what the EPA can and cannot do to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. And what is bizarre about this case uh, is that it's a challenge by West Virginia to a coal state, a coal state to Obama's clean power plant, which was stalled by the courts. And then it was essentially replaced when Donald Trump came in. It doesn't actually exist. And yet, for some reason, the Supreme Court said, you know what? We'd like to hear that case. We'd like to talk about what the EPA can and cannot do. This stunned legal experts that they would pull up this old case out of nowhere now that they have stolen and packed the Supreme Court majority to even hear this case to start putting new rules after decades on what it is that the EPA can and cannot do. Correct. This is about an attempt to curtail the EPA's agency authority to regulate both pollution and emissions that cause man-made climate change. Now, again, this is a a lawsuit from a coal state over environmental regulation that never took effect and doesn't even exist anymore. And it should be noted that most power companies have already met and exceeded the goals that were in the previous regulation that no longer exists. They've yep. already done it because market forces like renewable energy becoming cheaper than fossil fuels. That is what's pushing the utility industry towards not wanting the Supreme Court to pass this to curtail EPA regulations, yeah. because when the federal government makes these regulations, it actually creates a level playing field for all companies. So now the arguments on Monday, the oral arguments uh, were mainly overstanding because a lot of the justices rightly were concerned. How can a 
company, a West Virginia coal company, for example, claim that it's going to be harmed by a hypothetical regulation that doesn't, that doesn't exist. exist. Yes. Yeah. So now they were asking, does uh, do the plaintiffs even have standing to sue to stop it? And what's really dangerous about this, however, is that four justices did agree to hear this case. They were interested in taking up the idea of whether or not Congress has given federal agencies the authority to do any kind of regulations, especially regulations that rein in the fossil fuel industry. And that is sort of the crux of this here and why this concern is so much larger than this particular case, because the Supreme Court, and we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, with Mark Joseph Stern, who I think is going to be joining us on the program later this week, if all goes well. Uh, So we'll talk about it again. But we talked about it during uh, the the court's hearing on OSHA's regulation regarding vaccine mandates. Right. It's a stealth attack on federal agency authority. And, And basically, the Supreme Court said, no, they don't have the authority to do that, even though Congress has given them the authority to regulate the workplace to make sure there is safety in the workplace. The Supreme Court came up with some ridiculous reason to say, oh, sure, well, they can look after workplace safety, just not on this particular thing, because uh, when OSHA was created decades ago, Congress didn't tell them, hey, if COVID ever shows up, you can go ahead and and put in a vaccine mandate. They didn't specifically say that. They did not explicitly tell the EPA, you must regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Right, because greenhouse gas emissions wasn't a thing when when Richard Nixon created the EPA. In 1970. That is what all of these uh, things are about, taking away, stripping the power of uh, federal executive agencies to do the things they have been mandated to do by Congress, even if Congress hadn't said these specific words about these specific things. In other words, this Supreme Court right now wants Congress uh, to mandate absolutely anything and everything that needs to be done. And if they don't say it explicitly, it can't be done, taking away, frankly, the need for these executive agencies at all. Which is the point that Republicans have been working towards for decades. Now, just to put a point, a finer point on this, for example, if Congress doesn't say that you can have X amount of mercury, but not this much, but not that much, then that is the kind of explicit wording that the Supreme Court may right. force Congress to put into the laws. And since we have a lot of difficulty getting anything passed in the Senate these days, it's a good way to dismantle agency ability to protect public health. And to do anything. Instead of allowing the experts at the executive agencies to right. do these things, let the idiots in Congress uh, come up with how much mercury can or can't be included in water. And yeah. if they don't say that specifically, well, the EPA is not allowed to say it. That is what is at stake here. And it's not just EPA. It's EPA. It's OSHA. It's every federal Department of ex- Labor, executive it's agency. Everything. It's very bad. It's very troubling. And yes, hopefully we'll be joined by uh, Supreme Court expert Mark Joseph Stern later in the, w- in the, uh, in the week on this program to talk about today's hearing uh, and Biden's uh, nomination of Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the high court and much more. Thank you very much. Yep. Des. Uh, all right. We need to move over, obviously, now to uh, Russia uh, and Ukraine. Late last week, as Russian President Vladimir Putin was declaring his war on his neighbor Ukraine, the one that he said for weeks was uh, he was not planning to attack, he also offered an unmistakably terrifying message for everyone else on the planet when he seemed to reference Russia's vast nuclear arsenal, warning, quote, 
Whoever tries to impede us, let alone create threats for our country and its people, must know that the Russian response will be immediate and lead to the consequences you have never seen in history. Many folks uh, thought that was about uh, the use, potentially, of nuclear weapons. Certainly, it sounded like a threat. Well, on that was last uh, Thursday, just as the attack on Ukraine was beginning. On Sunday, as his campaign against Ukraine seemed to be bogging down over the weekend, or at least not moving as quickly as many has expected, Vladimir Putin dramatically escalated tensions uh, by ordering Russian nuclear forces to be put on high alert on Sunday, while Ukraine's embattled leader agreed to talks with Moscow as Putin's troops and tanks drove deeper into the country, closing in around Kiev, the capital, citing, quote, aggressive statements by NATO and tough financial sta- uh, sanctions. Putin issued a directive to increase the readiness of Russia's nuclear weapons, raising fears that the invasion of Ukraine could lead to nuclear war, whether by design or by mistake. A senior U.S. defense official Uh, Speaking on condition of anonymity, uh, told AP that the Russian leader is, quote, potentially putting in play forces that, if there is a miscalculation, could make things much, much more dangerous. So this could become extraordinarily dangerous, extraordinarily quickly. I pray that it does not. Putin's directive came as Russian forces encountered strong resistance from Ukraine defenders, AP reports. U.S. officials, however, say they believe the invasion has been more difficult and slower than the Kremlin envisioned, though that could change as Moscow adapts, with Russian troops now still closing in around Kyiv. I think we're about five or six days now into this assault. Authorities have been handing out weapons to anyone willing to defend the city, fully automatic machine guns, essentially, to anyone who shows up to ask for one. This is, in fact, a fight to the death, at least as it's seen by the people of Ukraine. But despite Putin's claims that Russia would only be targeting Ukraine's military, well, that is clearly not the case. Heartbreaking reports and videos are pouring out, proving that that is definitely not the case. For example, in Mariupol, where Ukrainians were trying to fend off attack A medical team at a city hospital desperately tried to revive a six-year-old girl in unicorn pajamas. She was mortally wounded in Russian shelling. And during the rescue attempt that the AP video camera was there for, um, a doctor was pumping oxygen into the girl, looked directly into the camera and said, show this to Putin. He angrily said, the eyes of this child and these crying doctors. Their resuscitation efforts failed for that little girl. Meanwhile, 560 miles away, Fena Bistritska was under threat in the city of Chernihiv. She said, I wish I had never lived to see this. She's an 87-year-old Jewish survivor of World War II. Uh, and uh, her... Uh, the city is about 90 miles from Kiev, where residents have been told not to switch on lights, quote, so we don't draw any attention, said Bistritska. 
She's been living in a hallway away from the windows so she could protect herself at 87 years of age. I cannot imagine the fear that she must be facing right now. Russia, of course, massed uh, 200,000 troops along Ukraine's border. They claim that their assault is only aiming at military targets, but clearly bridges and schools and residential neighborhoods have been hit, including by cluster munitions uh, that we've seen uh, videos of today, rockets that essentially drop hundreds of, 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 of bombs, of hundreds of hand grenades that explode after impact in residential areas. Russia is not a country defending itself. It is a country attacking 41 million innocent men, women and children. Meanwhile, the top official in the European Union outlined plans by the 27-nation bloc to close its airspace to Russia, to Russian airlines, and to buy weapons for Ukraine. The U.S. also stepped up its flow of weapons to Ukraine, announcing they're sending Stinger missiles as part of a package approved by the White House on Friday. Germany, likewise, plans to send 500 Stingers and other military supplies Germany has also now pledged to increase its total percentage of GDP that it spends on its military up to 2%. And that's something that the U.S. has been pushing for through NATO for years. The Germans have now shifted on a dime, saying, yes, we're going to do it. A new poll shows that the majority in Finland now supports joining NATO, a move the Finnish government has expressed an openness to in recent days for the first time. So if all of this was meant to weaken NATO, it appears to be doing quite the opposite for good or ill. This morning, Switzerland, Switzerland announced that they were ending decades of neutrality in order to join the EU banking sanctions. But the European Union's uh, Josep Borrell noted today that costs not to Russia, but to Europe of all of these sanctions uh, will have some pain. Uh, explaining they will be high for Europeans, but adding that they must be carried out anyway. This is not a free lunch. Sanctions will backlash. Sanctions have a cost. And it's better to express and to explain to a public opinion that this is the truth. But we have to be ready to pay this price now, because if not, we will have to pay a much bigger price in the future. Sounds like you could be talking about climate change there. In any event, uh, that is uh, the EU foreign minister, Josep Borrell. And in what could hurt Russia more than anything, given that about 45 percent of its economy is based on the sale of oil and gas, oil giant BP announced that it is getting rid of uh, its stake in the Russia state-owned oil firm Rosneft. That, according to a statement from BP today, uh, their chief executive officer also announced he was resigning immediately from Rosneft's board. Uh, he said, quote, like so many others, he was, quote, deeply shocked and saddened by the situation unfolding in Ukraine. Similarly, Shell Oil announced on Monday it will end its partnership with Russian energy company Gazprom, including its involvement in the Nord Stream 2 pipeline project that was being certified to send a huge amount of gas from Russia to Germany. That process has now been halted as well. But that is two major oil companies that have now divested from Russian energy companies 
following the attack on Ukraine. Shell's CEO said in a statement on Monday, we are shocked by the loss of life in Ukraine, which we deplore, resulting from a senseless act of military aggression which threatens European security. Our decision to exit, he said, is one we take with conviction. We cannot and we will not stand by, said the CEO of Shell. Yeah, and what's interesting about this is that it now puts pressure on American oil companies like ExxonMobil, which, you know, had a huge contract, one of the largest contracts ever written in world history with the Russians' uh, Kremlin-owned oil and gas companies in order to help them develop their reserves. So we'll see if Places like Exxon You're decide right. to step up and do some divestment. Both of those oil companies are British owned, aren't they? Uh, yes. BP and Shell. Well, Royal Dutch Shell. So Dutch, right. it's, but yes, they're European ah. companies. They're the ones that are taking action. The American companies so far have remained silent. Of course they have. In the meantime, uh, on Monday, the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ uh, late on Monday announced that they were halting trading of Russia-based companies as the war on Ukraine worsens. That as Russia continues to pound Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city, as we go to air today and as peace talks. Yes, blessedly, peace talks began and ended for now between Ukrainian and Russian delegations in Belarus near its uh, border with Ukraine. The two parties returned to their capitals for consultations after the uh, discussions. According to an advisor to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, he said on Monday, quote, Ukrainian and Russian delegations held the first round of negotiations. Their main goal was to discuss ceasefire and the end of combat actions on the territory of Ukraine. The parties have determined the topics where certain decisions were mapped out in order for these discussions to be implemented as a roadmap. The parties are now returning for consultation to their capitals. The parties discussed holding another round of negotiations where these decisions can develop. So good, I well, definitely good. That is encouraging news, though, as the announcement ended, CNN reported three large explosions were heard in Kiev. The 193-member U.N. General Assembly scheduled an emergency session on Monday on Russia's invasion, which, yes, I uh, I read uh, uh, English-language Russian media as well. They do not refer to it as an attack or an invasion or a war, but as the situation in Ukraine or Russia's special actions in Ukraine. Uh, at the uh, U.N. General Assembly on Monday, Ukraine's ambassador to the U.N., Sergei Kislitsia, uh, minced few words during his remarks to the General Assembly. We have been prompted to call for an emergency special session as the level of the threat to the global security has been equated to, the, to that of the Second World War. Or even higher, following Putin's order to put an alert Russian nuclear Forces. What, a, what a madness. If he wants to kill himself, he doesn't need to use nuclear arsenal. He has to do what the, same, what, what the guy in, in Berlin did in a bunker in May 1945. What a madness indeed. So uh, we have spent time on this program, reporting on NATO's and and the U.S.'s various failures uh, in the lead up to all of this, not just in recent weeks, but going back years. But once Russia attacked its neighbor, 
and not defensively and not, you know, merely in a disputed border region, but attacked the entire country by land, by sea, by air. At that point, any claim that Russia might have had against the U.S. and NATO, in my opinion, ended at least as long as the brutal military aggression continues. Yes, we are anti-war on this program. We always have been, no matter who is waging it. And yet, after seeing some uh, on the left over the weekend, and of course the Trump right, that's not a surprise, but some on the left trying to defend Russia by attacking the U.S. or NATO for its failures, I felt it necessary over the weekend uh, to, uh, to tweet the following. Quote, let me make this easy for my friends on the left. No matter your critiques of U.S. and NATO, we have shared them in detail. If you are against war, you must oppose Putin's war on Ukraine. If you oppose U.S. aggression, you must also oppose Russian aggression. This is an easy call. At least it is for me. You may feel differently, in which case we've got some public airwaves here for you to use to explain why. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Most of the responses that I've heard from our progressive listeners uh, since my last show last week, before I had to take off for, uh, for the dentist, uh, in, in which I condemned Russia in no uncertain terms for this outrageous, appalling, inexcusable, horrific, murderous assault on their neighbors... Uh, most of the response I have received has been in agreement, but not all of it, including some response from some longtime very good friends and, and readers and listeners who see things differently. For example, longtime listener and supporter uh, who I'll call G.H. in uh, Massachusetts writes me today via bradcast at bradblog.com to say, hello, Brad. I think the first time I've disagreed with your analysis of the news and your position on issues was your broadcast of February 24, 2022. That was last Thursday uh, when I condemned Russia for this unprovoked assault on Ukraine. Uh, she said, so I'd like to share with you a letter I mailed today to President Biden and my congressional delegation, etc., for your consideration. G.H. in Massachusetts. Now, G.H. really is a longtime listener and reader and supporter, and I like her a lot. But yes, we do not see eye to eye on this one. So I want to share it with you and get your thoughts today. 818-985-5735. It's a lengthy letter, but I'm going to just share the key thrust here. She writes, Dear President Biden, it appears you've lost the opportunity to wage peace in Ukraine. And as usual, the U.S. media, always driven by ratings, is following in lockstep with the idea of going to war. We hope that the media's hype will not dissuade you from other, more peaceful and, in the long run, more effective ways to respond to Russia's invasion. We want you to know that, unlike Donald Trump, we have no admiration for Vladimir Putin, KGB, non-democratic, presumably murderous, presumably oligarchic ruler of Russia, she describes him. However, we feel that Russian citizens have a right to protect themselves from the overwhelming military might of opponents like NATO. Now, of course, I agree with uh, their right to do that as well. And had they taken different action, had Russian taken different action that did not include the bombing of 41 million innocent men, women and children in an effort to take over an entire country, I would have been right on board with G.H., 
In fact, I have been. We have taken great pains on this program in recent days and over the years to extend every benefit of the doubt to Putin and to Russia and to hold NATO and the U.S.'s feet to the fire uh, for broken promises and or their eastward expansion uh, after the end of the Cold War, often comparing uh, the case to what it would be like if, you know, Mexico or Canada had allied with Russia and Russia then installed rockets pointing toward us, pointing towards us near the border. Had that been the case, I still would not have called for the U.S. to launch an invasion of Mexico or Canada in hopes of taking over the country, no matter how many civilian and and military troops were, were killed in the bargain. No, I would not do that. That is simply not the way to settle disputes in the 21st century, nor do I ultimately believe that, uh, that that's what Putin is finally trying to do here, to push back NATO. I don't believe that's what this is about. I believe he's trying to re-exert a Russian-Soviet czarist empire in hopes, at least as I see it, of holding off democracy from his own borders. We've not been particularly uh, anti-Russia on this show, even regarding uh, Russia's interference in the 2016 election, which I know many and, and, and they did interfere, by the way. Uh, But I know that many uh, Democrats and progressives have become increasingly hostile toward Putin and Russia because of what happened in 2016. We have not joined that crowd. Now, you may see what's going on here uh, differently right now, and that's fine, even if I wholeheartedly may disagree. But I welcome folks to call in today at 818-985-5735 with your own thoughts uh, for or again this argument. But I think I'll have to uh, keep saying this over and over again. I am anti-war. I oppose a nuclear-armed U.S. taking over a non-threatening Iraq. Similarly, I oppose a nuclear-armed Russia taking over a non-threatening neighbor in Iraq. My anti-war position here is pretty consistent. and It's only somewhat surprising to hear that is not the case with some, at least, of my longtime Theoretically, anti-war listeners and readers. G.H. goes on to make a number of other points in her uh, lengthy letter to Biden and her members of Congress, with which I do agree, by the way, regarding NATO, or at least I think that these ideas are worthy of debate, but not when bombs are dropping, not when a military superpower is launching cluster munitions against civilians in urban areas, not when a world leader is not so vaguely issuing repeated threats of the use of nuclear attacks against other nations. Stop the shelling, pull out the troops, and we can talk about all of these things, including U.S. and NATO missteps and hard choices that may need to be made Uh, by everyone here for world stability. But there is uh, just one more point that I want to respond to from uh, G.H., who argues in her letter, uh, quote, Ukraine theoretically has the right to join NATO, and NATO may theoretically have the right to invite Ukraine to join. However, we believe that Ukraine would not suffer in any way by virtue of a non-aligned status, staying non-aligned, maybe even staying neutral. 
After all, she writes, six members of the EU have chosen not to join NATO, and a seventh, Switzerland, is neither a member of the EU or of NATO. These seven countries do not appear to be suffering politically, economically, or financially due to their non-aligned status. Well, that may or may not be true. As noted, Switzerland, for the first time, has set aside its long doctrine of neutrality to freeze Russian assets. And Finland, an Eastern European nation that has declined to join NATO, is now sending arms to Ukraine and is reportedly considering joining NATO after watching what Russia is doing to another one of its nearby neighbors. Insisting on their right to join NATO, G.H. writes, Ukraine has brought upon itself the worst possible outcome. Well, that paragraph uh, began with G.H. noting that Ukraine has the right to join NATO and NATO may have the right to invite Ukraine to join before condemning in the same paragraph Ukraine's asserting their right to do so. But to suggest that Ukraine has brought upon itself the worst possible outcome? Frankly, I find that to be as offensive as blaming a woman who gets raped because she went out in a short skirt to a nightclub. Ukraine has not brought this upon themselves. You may disagree with Ukraine's interest uh, in defending itself, but to suggest, quote, Ukraine has brought this upon themselves? Well, it's something I 1,000% disagree with, period, as much as I do like uh, my friend G.H. They were no threat to Russia. They are being assaulted unmercilessly over a political dispute. This is not the way to handle political disputes in the 21st century. At least it shouldn't be. And I condemn what Russia is doing, just as I condemned the U.S. when they did the same. And just as I would hope that my anti-war listeners and readers would be able to do as well. As I said, in my opinion, this is simply not a close call. You may feel differently. However, and if so, feel free to call in and tell me why. 818-985-KPFK. You're also welcome to call in and tell me why I'm right, if you believe as much, even if that's not nearly as much fun. 818-985-5735. I'm also interested uh, to hear from folks as as to what you think should happen now. What now? What would you like to see this country do, see Joe Biden do or say in his State of the Union address on Tuesday night regarding all of this? What would you like to see NATO or the EU do? But mostly, what are we now doing right or wrong in this situation? 818-985-KPFK. I know I'm running late. Let's take a quick break and we'll get to your calls for the rest of the hour on this. Uh, After the last few days of this nightmare, I suspect you may have a thought or two. 818-985-5735. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. 
Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, taking your calls right now on Ukraine and Russia, 818-985-5735. Let me go to Harold in Santa Barbara. Hey, Harold, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, thank you. I can't help. I do agree with you, and I can't help but feel I have egg on my face, and the yolk runs down my face like tears. I just can't believe it. Why do you have egg on your face, Harold? Because I agreed that Russia has the right to defend itself mm-hmm. in terms of the promises made by this country. Mm-hmm. My ancestry did make this comment centuries ago. The white man speaks with a fourth tongue. But unfortunately, I don't understand why he did what he did. He was not defending himself. That's the issue. I would agree. If he was defending himself, we would be having a different conversation. But uh, that is not what he did at all. And uh, the fact that I even have to point this out is somewhat maddening, particularly here on on, on KPFK, on our Pacifica radio network built on anti-war, that I have to, like, explain to people why we should be against this. Anyway, thank you. Hey, thanks. At least you made me laugh. Uh, thank you. That's the least. That's well. That might be the only thing I could do at this point. Thanks, Harold. I I, I appreciate it. Go scramble those eggs, my friend. Eight one eight eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. Let's go to oh our good friend uh, Roger in Minneapolis. Uh, hey, Roger. Uh, how are you doing, sir? Well, I'm doing all right, Brad. Um, uh, and uh, I'd love to hear from you, but I know that we need to be concise. Uh, you're sounding good, I will say. Thank you. Um, I, I um, agree with everything that you've pointed out thus far with regard to the Ukraine-Russia uh, situation. Um, and uh, it is absolutely true that uh, Putin has completely annihilated his position, which was echoed extensively by Stephen Cohen, if you remember his writing around the annexation of uh, um, the Crimea uh, in 2014. Um, he's, he's completely exploded that argument mm-hmm. uh, also with regard to NATO expansion, although it's a legitimate beef, he has delegitimized it. I wanted to add this bit of um, uh, concern trolling to the mix. The fact is that even if the United States or NATO are not directly involved in aggressive uh, action to stop uh, Putin's uh, uh, militarism here, it's what is decisive is not whether the United States or NATO gets into a a, a war 
with Russia. What is decisive is what Putin decides in his obviously twisted mind constitutes an act of war. And that's the dangerous part here. We're dealing with a guy who apparently is has gone completely off his rocker and may well touch off a nuclear conflict. Yeah. And the restraint with which we handle the situation is critical. I'm not I'm not completely convinced that NATO handing masses of weapons uh, to the uh, to Ukraine is um, that safe of a strategy. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what to say about that, but I do think that this is extremely dangerous yep. and that Putin uh, is showing the worst kind of toxic masculinity that could cause us to, in fact, have a nuclear confrontation. Um, yeah, thank you, uh, Roger, for those thoughts. I don't know the answer to uh, those questions either. That's why I wanted to open this up. What should we be doing? And it is, you know, the, the things that we are doing are incredibly aggressive, even though we're not sending, you know, actual boots on the ground. We're sending, uh, we're sending, you know, Stinger missiles, Javelin missiles, and so forth. And yes, even the sanctions are incredibly aggressive. This is a damn dangerous situation. This is why we have a post-World War II uh, order where, you know, and a U.N. where we are not supposed to be invading other countries. Sadly, the U.S. Uh, itself screwed that up some years ago by attacking Iraq. So it makes us, you know, not a particularly convincing uh, uh, person to carry that uh, country to carry that argument. Uh, but I'm going to carry it here and I'm going to uh, stand up for peace and against war no matter who wages it. Thanks for your call, Roger. Uh, always good to hear from thank you, my you. friend. Stay safe up there. Um, 818, thank you. 818-985-5735. Let me go to John in Los Angeles. Hey, John, welcome to the broadcast, sir. I, um, you keep saying Russia wasn't under a threat, but he repeatedly asked Ukraine not to join NATO. Yeah, they so? They don't want NATO at their doorstep. Yeah, so? so? That's why he attacked. Oh, so uh, he he attacked because NATO, who is not, I'm sorry, uh, Ukraine, which is not in NATO, which wants to join NATO, which has received no invitation from NATO to join. But just because they there may be they want to join, that is a reason to attack, to assault, to bomb, to drop uh, cluster bombs on uh, an entire population of 41 million people. That's the argument you're really going to go with, John? It's true. If you don't, it, it, all they had to do was say they didn't want to join NATO. That was all, and, and America backed them up. Uh -huh. America really wants to wants to be in Ukraine. So that's why. Um, so what they attacked. have to do is so what they have to do and say is what Putin wants them to do and say, and if they don't, then they deserve to be bombed and destroyed and wiped off the map. That's your argument. Ukraine is, is, is messing with the, the, the number one nuclear power in the world. You don't do that with a, with a power like Russia. Okay. So you might say, John, that uh, they shouldn't have done that. You might feel they should have said, okay, we will never join Ukraine. Uh, we will never join NATO because you've got a barrel, the barrel of a gun pointed at us. You feel they should do that. Okay. If they don't do that, are you saying they deserve to be attacked and killed and destroyed and wiped off the map? 
those are the consequences. You open yourself up to those things. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you do. I'm against it, John. I'm sorry you're not as well. I really well, I'm am. Against it. I'm just saying that we're foolish. So are you? Well, we may be foolish, uh, and Ukraine may be foolish. But do you condemn Russia for attacking Ukraine? I have no, uh, I have no dog in that fight. Really? So no, you don't. So you don't condemn. Good. So John, you don't condemn. Uh, a military superpower bringing to bear uh, b- b- bombs, uh, destruction, killing children, six-year-old children. You got no dog in that hunt, but you're ticked off because Ukraine didn't comply and bow down to what another country wanted them to say or do. I'm understanding this correct, right? Yeah, you're, twist- you're twisting my words. I'm not pissed off. I say they were foolish. Yeah. I, I wish I was twisting your words. Uh, Got to go. Thanks for your input. Uh, you sure you don't want to condemn Russia, by the way, John? Yeah, that's what. Okay, that's what I thought. That's a shame. Eight one eight nine eight five KPFK. Let's let's take a quick break. We'll come back with uh, some more of your calls as we can fit them in. Eight one eight nine eight five KPFK. Quick break, and we are back with that right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. By the way, you can tweet me as well if you like. A lot of people want to get in on the phones. If you can't get in, you can tweet me. I am the Bradblog. Uh, on the Twitters. You can also email me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Let's try to fly through as many folks as we can in the very few minutes we have left here. Uh, Danny in Venice. Hey, Danny, welcome to the Bradcast. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. What's your question or comment or thought? All right. Uh, I just wanted to say, you know, I'm very anti-war, mm-hmm. uh, but I also am in that statement. I'm anti the aggressor. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, if you've been aggressed upon, then you do have the right to defend yourself. So, for instance, there was a meme of this this uh, person that uh, was a world was a world champion fighter or something like that, billionaire, millionaire, or something, and he stayed and fought. And I, you know, was on that meme, and I saw a friend of mine saying, "Oh, all the neocons have really come out." So I asked him, "What are you talking about? Like, you're you're not, you can't even say that Ukraine uh, is right to defend themselves against this aggression." And then he rattles off all this stuff, including. Something, a lot of stuff from Putin's speech, a lot of stuff that sounded like Tulsi, and a lot of stuff that sounded like Glenn Greenwald, kind of the way that they think. Uh-huh. And specifically this thing about neo-Nazis yeah. uh, in, in the East, and that Russians are getting killed in the East, and that Putin's just coming to help them. Um, I find that to be either false, or at least, even if it's true, not enough of a reason to uh, attack. 
But is there any truth to any of that? I mean, there, I haven't there, heard that part discussed yet. Yeah, there is some truth to that, and we've talked about it before on the show. There is a an ultra-nationalist uh, faction in Ukraine uh, that has been a part of that fight in the Donbass region in uh, the eastern part of Ukraine. Uh, they were uh, sort of their own militia for a while. They are, were eventually taken into the, actually, Ukraine militia, the Ukraine army. Um, they have no power in uh, in parliament, uh, and but right. they but they do exist. Yes, in the nation of Ukraine. No, they are not doing the attacks that uh, Putin claims they are doing in the east. And by the way, even if they were, that doesn't give you an excuse to exactly. attack Kiev or Kharkiv or anywhere else. Exactly. So it's, you know, and by the way, just a reminder, when you hear the Russians and the Russian apologists describing uh, Ukraine as a Nazi country, that Nazi country apparently no, no, I has... I understand that. No, no. Well, yeah. I, mean, I just want to explain for others, Danny, that that yeah, country yeah. has a Jewish president who had relatives who were killed by the Nazis in World War II. Right. So to call them Nazi is just absurd. Exactly. Thanks, Danny. Uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate the call. Uh, 818-985-KPFK. Let's go to D in L.A. Hey, D. welcome to the broadcast. Hi. I wanted you to know I love your show in general, and you're really sharp. And I wanted to say that, you know, sometimes those of us who are, you know, black, African-American, we experience lots of racism from many people. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it and said, I, want, I don't know how the Ukrainian people would feel about me or if they'd like me, but I feel really bad for them. It looks, it's horrible to, to, to push people out of their homes, to bomb people, to, to kill people this way. And I, I really feel that a nation has the right to choose their own path. Yep. And I do believe, though, that if there's an area that, that they strongly feel Russian and the other, why don't they just make some kind of agreement with that area to live in peace and accept each other? In other words, we agree to disagree. There's yep. nothing wrong with that. Yep. No, you're absolutely right, D. And we have all kinds of ways to do that now. We have the U.N. Uh, you know, uh, nobody right. wanted a war here other than the nation of Russia. And they lied about it until they launched it. And uh, D. Well, it was just horrible. It was just massive. And over the, I saw the people and I understand there is no one that has more compassion than me and my family and our, with our history, descendants of slaves in America. Mm-hmm. We have compassion for other people. I have a lot of compassion for them. And when I see these mothers and their babies and that father crying because he doesn't know if he's going to see his child or his wife again. And and think about people who are disabled. And frankly, I love animals. No one ever mentions them. But think about all the people, pets, animals, and that is so It is, D. It is absolutely heartbreaking. You're absolutely right. I wish I had more time to chat about it with you, but you're right on the money. Thanks, D. I I love your show, and you're really a sharp guy. You're very, you're you're too kind. Thank you, D. I appreciate it. Uh, I know a lot of folks want to get in. We're not going to be able to get to everyone. Uh, Let me take one more randomly here. Um, Do I have time? One more. Very quickly, 30 seconds. Michelle in Adelanto. California. Hey, Michelle. Hi, how are you? Hanging in there. You only got 30 seconds. So what do you, what do you, what's on your mind? That's okay. I totally agree with you. And, and in my opinion, I'm sorry, but Putin has had way too much power and he should be taken out. 
because no one, no one person should decide to take over an entire country, so to speak, and just say, I want it for whatever reason. And then, you know, just to throw this on those people, these are innocent people. It's just, you know, they can make their choices for their government and stuff, but this is wrong. This is yeah. wrong. It's very wrong, Michelle. Thank you. I appreciate the call. And uh, I'm sorry I wasn't able to get to more folks who might have disagreed with me on this. The fact that we even have to have this discussion is... Talk about things going wrong. If there is anything in this nation that should finally unite this entire nation, this is it. Right, left, everyone else, this is it. And it's amazing when I hear my friends on the left who, you know, have some good points about, uh, you know, things that America did, uh, that the U.S. has done, that NATO has done, that were anything but perfect— uh, again, like I said, we can talk about all of that. We should talk about all of that. But not while there's bombing going on. Not while there are six-year-old children in unicorn pajamas being killed in an attack not to defend Russia, but an act of aggression that we would condemn on this station, on this network, if it was the U.S. doing it, and we ought to be condemning it when Russia does it as well. I got to get out. Uh, I'm sorry. I know a lot of folks wanted to get through. I'd, I'd love to continue this conversation for the next two or three hours, but I can't. I got to get out. My thanks to our uh, board operator today, Gary Baca, to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me at the Brad Blog. That's it. I'll see you there until we meet again here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.